Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Weekly Law Talk Radio. Today is Thursday, June 17, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. ALRPRA wants lawyers to spend more time practicing law, attending to their clients, and networking to grow their practices. Let ALRPRA manage the day-to-day business. When quality matters, use ALRPRA, making law firms and businesses better. ALRPRA Law Talk Radio is a national law talk radio webcast. On ALRPRA Law Talk Radio, we only promote the topics that directly impact how you practice law today. Today's guest is credit damage expert George Finder. He is known nationwide for reviewing credit damage events and reporting on and testifying on the damage to litigants' credit reputation. His website is creditdamageexpert.com, and he also has a video that will be available shortly on YouTube um, for social media uh, users to find out more about uh, George Finder and credit damage experts. Again, credit reputation is a calculable asset, and often in litigation, damage to credit reputation is overlooked. George Finder can put a dollar amount on the loss to one's credit reputation. Proof of damage to credit can dramatically increase a plaintiff's recovery, and last week an arbitration award increased recovery of plaintiffs by $100,000 for four plaintiffs, split by them individuals who experienced their credit damaging event and used George Finder uh, in his analysis in a construction defects case. George is here to tell us a little bit about that today and uh, and a few other uh, items of interest. So our topics today that we're going to cover are first, uh, the recent award. Secondly, we're going to talk about how to ask for credit damage recovery. And third, we will uh, look at spotting credit damage plaintiffs. And finally, our last segment will be what a lawyer must do to increase damage awards. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you that we broadcast on Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. These shows are one hour in length and feature updates in current law as well as expert practice management tips from large global law firms to Main Street solo practitioners. Every Tuesday, our program provides commentary from leading authorities on legal issues in the news. On Thursdays, we talk about information and legal issue spotting, encouraging client referrals. We have a great show for you this afternoon, and we'll invite caller questions either by email to info, which is I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com, or they can also call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Um, Now, without further ado, we bring you George Finder. George, how are you doing today? Oh, today's a great day, and I'm glad to be on the air with you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get right to the uh, meat of this. Tell us about this recent damage award. Well, last um, fall, I was brought into a credit. I'm sorry, to a construction defect case, and the there were thirty. I'm sorry, there were forty plaintiffs each of whom had invested body units in a conversion from apartments to a condo community. Um, Unfortunately for the developer, the condo community uh, got caught in the market downturn and the developer stopped selling units and rented out 
the rest of them or continue to use them as apartments. The other problem, whether the market turned or it didn't turn, was the construction or reconstruction of some of the units was not properly done. And after as little as a year, actually as little as six months, uh, 40, almost every one of the investors experienced a mold infestation or damage uh, issue. And for those where mold did not actually develop, there was a water damage, a constant water leakage uh, due to foundation crack or something like that. I'm not a construction expert, so I don't know what the details were. I simply focused on how these defects were affecting the credit and the ability to market uh, the property that they had either bought for their own residence or had invested in for their own purposes. The, uh, of the 40 uh, plaintiffs, only four hired me to develop a credit damage opinion for them and to, uh, so that's what I did. Uh, we did that last September or October, and the ruling came down last week from the arbitrator. And basically what the arbitrator said was um, that because there were so many defendants, uh, I'm sorry, so many plaintiffs, uh, it was my opinion that he followed the uh, attitude or procedure that one would use in a class action case where one size fits all damages, and they awarded each uh, plaintiff who had included a credit damage aspect in their damage demand, uh, $25,000. Uh, generally, that was approximately a 10 to 1 return on their investment. Uh, some were 8 to 1 return on their investments because not each of the participants in the matter requested the same level of service. The issue here really, in my opinion, is the recognition that a foreclosure, each of the four, or three of the four defendants or plaintiffs uh, had foreclosure issues. They had had to leave the property, had to find a new residence, uh, had to start a new life uh, without uh, the same credit that they had been able to enter into their investment with. And that's what I did is I measured the economic impact of what was necessary to replace items that were damaged due to the mold, uh, what was necessary to relocate the residents, and what was necessary to compensate them for their inability to remarket the property uh, if that was even possible or, or desired uh, prior to the foreclosure uh, procedure. Uh, one of the three, uh, one of the four participants is, was still living in the property at the time that I did my measurement. He had invested the most cash of all four of the participants in his new residence uh, property. And when he went to refinance it or sell it, which was even worse, he couldn't even sell it because no lender would issue a loan or, or extend a loan to anyone uh, that applied. Uh, to allow uh, the investor to move. Uh, he was not aggressively looking to move, but 
he felt very strange being the only investor in over 300 units that uh, where everyone else was a renter. And the arbitrator recognized that as a damage. And so, again, with one-size-fits-all ruling, it was $25,000 or $100,000 total addition uh, compensation just for the credit damage. There were other uh, reimbursements, the uh, contracts that were issued to the uh, 40 uh, investors, uh, buyers, uh, were rescinded. The uh, funds were uh, – the arbitrator ruled that those funds had to be um, repaid to the uh, individuals uh, including some uh, consideration for uh, damages that they had to suffer uh, that I've just itemized. Um, it was, as far as I know, the first instance of recognition of credit damage compensation for a construction defect uh, matter. The uh, and that's what I wanted to say. One of the things that was uh, very clearly uh, uh, demonstrated in this event was that if there is a proper presentation of a credit damage demand, uh, it will be recognized, uh, not necessarily at the value that I assign to it, but it will be recognized by the trier effect. And of the 40 uh, plaintiffs, only the four that were uh, including a damage demand for credit uh, were compensated for that damage. So if you don't ask for it, you won't get it. And if you don't present a, an expert report with a valuation, then you're not going to get it. So that's the first thing I wanted to say, Kevin. Uh, Nick, I'm no. reading some. <laughs> what 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 else? Um, what is there anything that was unique about this situation, um, or you know how does this situation lend itself to any clearer explanation as opposed to some other um, some other uh, you know good outcomes, or is this similar to what most of them have been? Well, the the common denominator is you have to ask for the damage. And if you ask for it only in your boilerplate, well, it's probably just going to be lumped in, just as everything else in the boilerplate might be lumped in. But if you make a credible, uh, specific demand related to credit damage, that demand, the more specific the better, will be recognized or has been recognized, and I believe will be recognized by the trier effect. If you don't ask for it, you won't get it. If you ask for it properly, you'll get more. Now, I know that we're going to talk about a little bit of that, uh, you know, down the road here. Um, what exactly, I mean, procedurally, um, were you privy to or do you know, how, how did it happen? Um, was there a separate hearing on the credit damage element? Uh, yes. I testified for one day uh, on behalf of all four of my clients. And uh, I had to go from Orange County to Sacramento, and well, the, Sacramento is a very nice little city. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, well, it's not too far, too far north, and a good, 
Good drive, you know. So for a day's a day's testimony. So there was so there was a separate hearing for it. Okay. Yes. And uh, the um, defense took exception to my testimony because they felt that it was um, not appropriate. I don't really know what all the objections were. I'm reading a transcript of uh, the presentation, studying it. But uh, basically they, 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 I think they objected to my uh, itemizing all of the factors that changed the credit. Uh, they objected to uh, increased out-of-pocket costs. And by the way, the arbitrator did award to uh, everybody, not just my clients, uh, out-of-pocket costs. What they, what the arbitrator deducted from the non-credit demands was reasonable rent for the period of time that the uh, there was a, that the plaintiff was an occupant in the property, and uh, each of those amounts uh, varied because not everyone lived there the same amount of time. Also, not everybody paid the same amount for the unit that's uh, in question. And that's why that there was a, a single number assigned for credit damage uh, leads me to believe that the one-size-fits-all policy, similar to what is in a class action, although this was not a class action, um, was uh, what was utilized by the arbitrator. Now, was it the same, was it one attorney with four, uh, representing four individuals, or were there four separate attorneys and four separate individuals? There was only uh, one law firm involved. Um, they seem to specialize in these kinds of cases. The, uh, I had worked on another matter with one of the lawyers in this particular uh, firm, and uh, that's why they contacted me. And basically, I was retained directly by the investor residence uh, through the law firm. The law firm uh, made every uh, plaintiff in the case aware that my services were available, uh, and, and uh, typically that's an eight-page document that explains uh, what I do, why I do it the way I do it, the benefits, and certainly a uh, judicial notice list, which includes... Uh, various successes over the years that, um, like this one, I believe were precedent-setting. I am not aware of any previous credit damage award for uh, construction defects. Wow, this is a big this is a big case for you then. Yes. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, let's pause for a moment for identification. Um, we, we we just covered the recent award. After the break, we're going to talk about how to ask for credit damage recovery. Um, and then our third segment, we'll talk about spotting credit damage plaintiffs. And then fourth, we'll round out with what a lawyer must do to increase damage awards. So thank you for everyone for tuning in. Again, you're listening to ALR PRA Law Talk Radio, where we bring you the experts and the attorneys who share the tips, trends, and latest updates that matter to your law practice. A note from one of our sponsors, Law Info. Established in 1994, Law Info is recognized as a nationwide leader within the legal community, providing public access to pre-qualified, pre-screened attorneys and to free legal resources. 
Their signature service, the Lead Counsel Program, was designed to provide a simple and reliable way for anyone on the web to find pre-qualified, pre-screened attorney quickly and easily. Lead Counsel members must earn the right to use the Lead Counsel designation by passing Law Info's challenging certification process, which mandates peer recommendations, bar checks, and minimum practice experience in that practice area. They're staffed by a dedicated team, and Law Info's corporate offices are located in San Marcos, California, 30 minutes north of San Diego. Back now to credit damage expert George Finder, who's going to uh, talk a little bit more about how to ask for credit damage recovery. George. Hi. Uh, well, the first place to start in asking for credit damage is to find out if the client has a credit damage issue. Uh, there are a few qualifying questions to ask. Uh, these uh, questions are summarized and organized in a credit damage intake form, which is available to your listeners at no charge. They simply have to log into my website and request it. Uh, can I give them that address now? Go for we do it. That? Yes, please. It's creditdamageexpert at gmail.com. Creditdamageexpert at gmail.com. I'm sorry, I'm giving you my email. Uh, it's just creditdamageexpert.com. Creditdamageexpert.com. Thank you. Yes, sorry about that. Uh, I'm just so used to giving people my well, email address. They can, they can email you too, I suppose, right? <laughs> yes, I'm happy to hear from them. Um, among the questions that need to be answered are, are you using credit now? And if the client or prospective client is a credit user, the question is, how much credit are you using? The typical American household has between uh, five and nine credit cards of various types, uh, and the general usage or credit limit on those cards is typically about $25,000. Uh, if you have a client who claims to have credit damage and has a $500 secured credit card, and that's the extent of their credit, uh, or something similar to that, uh, this is not a credit damage candidate. Um, it's best uh, to immediately find out if there's a mortgage involved, because if there's a mortgage involved, we know that this is a seriously recognized credit user and a more responsible uh, member of society by the very fact that they have larger financial obligations and somebody who can pick up and leave at any time. Uh, so that's the first question is, do you use credit? How much do you have in use? Or what are your accounts? And these questions are all asked on the form that I just described. And the simple question, uh, uh, the simple recognition, rather, that there is a mortgage involved makes it a much more probable, credit-compensable case. Mm -hmm. uh, the other question is, and this is uh, a simpler one, is are you current on all your bills? Are you paying all your bills as you have agreed? Now, if the answer is you bet, then at that moment there is not credit damage. If the answer is, well, you know, uh, I've been out of work for two months or, or whatever the, the answer is that leads to no, I am not current on all my bills, then that is a very strong green flag that there is probably, but we don't know for sure, there's more details, uh, a credit damage that is current 
what we have to be sure of is that it's not self-inflicted credit damage, but rather damage inflicted uh, by the defendant. Uh, as every lawyer knows, the devil is in the details, so these are broad strokes to help quickly and easily that separate the doable from the undoable. The other factor that has to be recognized is that credit damage may not show up for two or three months after the damage has been inflicted. There are uh, creditors, particularly if there are medical bills involved, who will not show any kind of, um, may not even put the account on the uh, patient, plaintiff, uh, client, credit report because they're uh, expecting uh, insurance compensation, it's when it becomes clear to the uh, medical provider that they're not going to pay the bill on time or at all that this becomes a very serious issue. So even if at intake the client is able to say, I have sufficient credit but everything is okay right now, it is appropriate for the, for the attorney to ask that same question on a monthly basis. And that's because things change. Uh, the, the credit reporting system is not an instantaneous uh, notation in your file. It can take 45 to as long as 90 days for negative remarks to appear in a credit report. So it's identify as early as you can and make sure that the what you've identified at the start is still valid 30, 60, 90, 120 days later. Um, because this, the economic status, the, the credit status of the client borrower uh, is subject to change as reported in the credit report or in notices. One of the favorite practices currently of, uh, and this is a change from the uh, construction defect matter, is uh, medical providers will do balance billing for a client where the insurance company does not pay the entire bill as agreed, but pays a part of it. The medical company's treatment uh, folks uh, have been known to um, bill, the balance, bill the balance of what's not paid by the insurance company to the individual expecting the individual to pay it, no matter what the decision was or agreement was with the insurance coverage. Uh, that's one issue that, again, won't necessarily show up for uh, three, four, five months. Uh, the other very hot issue in terms of qualifying a client, and again, I'm going to address the personal injury aspect of this or topic of this, is uh, the insurance company may cancel or rescind insurance coverage, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a whole new can of worms that needs to be undone. Uh, uh, I have several cases of that nature going on right now. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I can't talk about uh, them too much because I want to stay on focus here. But uh, And we can do that in another show, I hope. But the, pro the credit profile changes. Uh, what we want to make sure of is if it changes dramatically after the injury, that there is sufficient damage to a good credit, not perfect credit, but to a good credit rated borrower uh, that has uh, suffered as a result of the injury, uh, whatever the nature of it is. The uh, monies need to be diverted. Liquidity is destroyed, uh, which was a, 
an aspect of the damage that I uh, cited in the construction defect. Uh, liquidity is a very strong requirement for loan approval. You must be able to show the lender that the there is sufficient funds if you're laid off or if you're um, uh, hurt or, or there's some uh, catastrophe that you're not living hand to mouth and that they can uh, definitely ex- expect that you have enough liquidity in your uh, savings account, in your 401k, in your Christmas fund, whatever it is, that you will be able to keep those payments current no matter what. Liquidity is a very strong uh, uh, aspect of credit granting or credit rates. Uh, In the construction defect matter, everyone of my clients had either total liquidity uh, damage or so extensive that uh, it was uh, total for all practical purposes. Um, One of the uh, investors in the... uh, in the residence in this uh, condo development um, had put his, his literally his life savings was his down payment for uh, uh, purchasing the unit and he did that because he wanted a lower interest rate so that when he made his payments they would be as low as possible a very astute move in most cases but now he has all of his money tied up in his uh, residence and he can only uh, hope to qualify for a new loan uh, based on his new savings uh, that he's got to build up uh, because there will be no equity build up in his property. There will be no uh, liquidity in uh, uh, that can be used from that property. And that's a very real damage uh, that can be stated in dollars and cents and can be compensated for. Are you there, Nick? I am. I am. It's just, I just keep. <laughs> you've got such good information. I'm just letting you go. Um, you know, we're talking uh, a little bit about you know spotting all these credit damage plaintiffs, um, and that liquidity, um, you know, certainly is something that people wouldn't expect to, uh, you know, put a bunch of money down on a property and then have something like that go. So you know, I can certainly see how um, you know how horrible that must be when you're in a situation where all the that liquidity that helps you move um, and get things done is now encumbered right and by the way that liquidity is important not just for real estate it's also important for credit cards and with the new credit card uh, legislation that has tightened up the revenue streams or the charges that credit card companies can make to their cardholders they are being very very careful about who they are uh, extending credit to, and liquidity is one of their requirements as well. So it doesn't just affect real estate or car uh, liens or loans or or leases. It affects pretty much the spectrum of credit. And uh, credit, can can you talk a little bit uh, briefly before our next break about the um, asset that is the credit reputation? Well, the credit reputation is basically... Uh, how strangers are going to determine if you're a trustworthy individual. Uh, uh, I have a scenario on a very different subject, uh, which I know is off target, but it's the best example I can give you, where um, military uh, personnel are getting a divorce. 
uh, the, the the family law court will issue a decree or a ruling that says uh, party A is responsible for certain bills and party B is responsible for certain bills, and I'm referring only to joint accounts. Um, as a result of one party not doing what they were uh, assigned to do by the court, uh, both parties may suffer uh, negative information appearing in the credit report. In a particular divorce case that I'm working on at the moment, the result of the negative information due to the non-payment by the other party caused that individual to lose their security clearances, and they had to be downgraded in their function of protecting us from terrorists. I think that's terrible because other than that, they were not doing anything wrong uh, in terms of payments. They were making payments as they were required or requested to do by the court, but because the other party didn't, anyone who does not meet that individual and simply looks at the credit record, which is very standard, and says, oops, the credit score has gone down, and here are some late payments, uh, we cannot accept this person as a security risk. Got it. All right, well, thank you for uh, the information there on spotting credit damage plaintiffs. Let's pause quickly for identification and for a message from one of our sponsors. Again, for those of you who have just tuned in, you're listening to ALR, PRA Law Talk Radio. Message from a sponsor. If you want more clients, there's a seasoned attorney you need to talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. Jim will help you take you through the crucial steps to increasing your firm's revenues. Through the Get Clients Now program, which employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net. And also, check out his testimonials on Facebook. Search Get Clients Now on Facebook. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. For those of you, again, just tuning in, this is ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. We are talking to credit damage expert George Finder, who shared a little bit of information with us earlier in the show about uh, a recent recovery that he uh, assisted uh, the plaintiffs in uh, recovering a large sum of money for in a construction defects case for their damage to their credit reputation. Then we talked a little bit about spotting credit damage plaintiffs. And now for our uh, attorneys out there listening, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about when you do have a credit damage plaintiff, how you go about asking for credit damage recovery. So, George, can you take us through uh, the process by which you uh, teach attorneys how to really get this done and ask for, make sure they do it right to get the credit damage recovery? Well, I make it as easy on the attorney as possible or as efficient on the attorney as possible. My experience is that if an attorney will follow our directions, which I think in these uh, conversations we've had, I think you'll see that I don't want the attorney to do my work. I simply want them to provide me with information, and then I can do my work and assist the client and the attorney in getting what is the appropriate uh evaluation of the damage that we can document on a solid foundation. And that's what the attorney can do for me. The attorney can make sure that I get the appropriate documentation to that 
will be foundational to development of my damage opinion. And in the material that I send out to requesting attorneys, I have a full page, which has about eight items on it, that uh, lists what to send me and what not to send me. And I am looking that up right now so I can tell your readers exactly, or listeners, I'm sorry, uh, your listeners exactly what they should look for, and that's going to make it easier for them. Uh, The first thing that I want to say while my file is loading up is never send tax information. Never send loan applications. And the reason is it is not my function or expectation to second-guess a lender. My expectation and my function is to simply measure, document and measure the difference in qualifying or or not qualifying for an amount of credit at any cost and then the amount of cost that's involved. And when I say amount, I mean different aspects of cost. uh, Loans not only have interest rates to be considered, they also have down payments, points, fees, other factors which may or may not be part of the face amount on the contract but that are somehow or other collected by lenders. Um, Some of these are included in closing costs, and some of them are uh, go beyond closing costs and other factors. Now, I know that there are uh, uh, various legislations in various states that allow different costs to be included. Uh, I don't want to get involved in those because Uh, Everything is on a per-case basis, uh, very specific. So let me just go right to the kinds of documents that I am looking for to base the formation of of an opinion. And the first item, if possible, that I would like is a copy of the complaint. The complaint summarizes as abstract uh, discomfort by the plaintiff into very understandable uh, language and specific language as to what the damage is and why the defendant is being brought to court. Uh, that's the first item. And those are very easy. These are, and that's public record. There's no secret information here. The other uh, form uh, that I look for, a source of information, is either a deposition or interrogatory transcript. Now, I do ask in, in disposition, uh, depositions and interrogatory transcripts, limit the information that you give me only to those aspects that involve credit. How long was the borrower out of work? What was the loss of income? Um, uh, what assets were uh, included in the damage? Were there funds that were diverted or, or withdrawn prematurely uh, from savings accounts, 401ks, et cetera, uh, CDs even. Um, so that's part of what I, that's the only part of the deposition or interrogatory that is pertinent to my service. And my service overlaps the attorneys. It is not the same as the attorneys. And attorneys very often want to send me all uh, dozens or hundreds of pages of a deposition or interrogatory. Uh, that's not necessary. Um, here we come to 
one of the most misunderstood aspects of documentation. There are two kinds of credit reports. There is a commercial or subscriber credit report uh, that is the only kind of report used by a lender, and in many cases by employers. As a matter of fact, I think almost exclusively by employers. And when the loan was granted, assuming that there was a loan granted in this particular action, um, get a copy of that note. Get a copy of that credit report so that we can see what the credit status of the uh, applicant plaintiff was at that time. If possible, it's a good idea to be able to go back two years prior to that uh, event. It will be necessary for the uh, obtaining of a current credit report, again, a commercial credit report, to establish what the credit status is now, currently, uh, so that we have a comparison of same kind of information, a commercial credit report to a commercial credit report. The, uh, that is the key to being able to establish what the change in the credit reputation in print is being reported to those who are permitted to look at the credit report. I do want to say at this point that a free credit report um, that is available by over a million sources on the Internet is of absolutely no use for this purpose. Lenders do not look at that credit report. Lenders only look at commercial credit reports or subscriber credit reports. They, the uh, client cannot get those directly, but they can go to a lender and uh, with the proper request can get what they need uh, to substantiate the changes in their credit. Um, I also ask the client to provide me a, a narrative. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a, a PhD dissertation. It simply needs to be the client saying in their own words why and how they feel they have been damaged. Um, I used to be able to buy a car. I can't get a car now. I used to be able to get a car with my signature. Now I have to put 20% down. I used to be able to refinance my real estate. Now they won't touch me. Um, and one of the benefits of doing this is that I, it helps me put the, the, uh, that, the change by the plaintiff in the context of borrowing conditions. Uh, while a few years ago there, it was almost impossible not to get a loan, today it's very difficult to get a loan. And it's not that the rules have changed, it's that the enforcement of the requirements has gotten much more diligent and uh, some kinds of loans have disappeared. Uh, one of those kinds of loans is a stated income loan. Um, if that is what qualified the borrower, well, that has to be taken into account when determining credit damage. Um, when the client applies for credit, they, and if they are accepted or if they are denied, they do get a notice from the party to whom they applied for credit, stating the decision, uh, and in some cases, but not all cases, the letter will include up to four reasons for the denial. Uh, keep those letters. Those letters are valuable. 
in guiding the attorney and in guiding me in confirming uh, what has happened and uh, who is responsible for those events. Uh, monthly statements are very, very uh, powerful in confirming when credit was canceled, when credit is reduced, particularly on credit cards uh, the or other accounts uh, that are not amortized. The... Uh, we want to be able to show when a credit rate was increased in a revolving account, a credit card account. Um, the more specific the information that can be provided as the basis of opinion development, the, the more credibility the demand and the less opportunity for charges of or objections of speculation by opposing counsel. Now, that's six different um, doc kinds of documentation. Only two of them are, are private. The rest are all basically very public. Uh, actually, three of them are private. So that's a lot of information that anybody can look at, uh, but if it's not properly organized and if it's not properly viewed, then there will be um, lack of credibility uh, to any kind of damage demand regarding credit damage. Now, again, George, you said that you make this easy for the attorneys who hire you, so you give them this list of documents to collect and help them with that process, or Absolutely. they... Absolutely. And I don't expect the attorneys to provide me all of these things at once. It is typical for... Uh, in the development of my opinion, to have uh, several additional information requests in, in compliance with this list of six items or five items that I just uh, uh, listed for you. Um, the, uh, it's my experience that if a lawyer or a paralegal uh, who probably will help assemble this list We'll follow this list to the best of our ability. We'll get well over 50% of the information we need from day one, especially if they utilize the credit damage intake form and any of these items from day one. It's typical for me to have two or three additional uh, information requests for details. And the extent of documentation that's provided will definitely impact the quality of the credit damage measurement uh, report. All right. Very good. We're going to pause uh, quickly for uh, another break. And then uh, just to recap, George was so kind to share with us his recent award, talked then a little bit about how to spot a good credit damage plaintiff. And then thirdly, George shared with us how to prepare uh, and set everything up for the on the attorney end to, to get ready to ask for the uh, credit damage recovery. So our final segment after the break, uh, we'll ask George to talk about what the lawyer needs to do next now that they have all the information and uh, now are ready to move forward, what we're going to do there. So let's take a, our third break. Um, 
we want to thank you again for tuning in to ALR PRA Law Talk Radio, where we bring you the experts and attorneys who share the tips and latest trends that help matter to your law practice. A note from one of our third sponsors, Bridges Court Reporting. Bridges Court Reporting provides the luxuries that premier law firms need, extending far beyond the professional courtesies and style that make Bridges Court Reporting a well-known name nationwide. The Bridges website and software allows you to access all of your transcripts and exhibits as well as schedule from any computer with Internet access. So again, from any computer with Internet access, you can schedule your court reporters, view all your transcripts and your exhibits. Before long, you'll wonder why you ever used another court reporting agency. The conveniently located Bridges Court Reporting is in Chicago, across the street from the Daily Center. Now, if you're not in Chicago, you should know that Bridges Court Reporting is available nationwide. They will, at no cost uh, to you, uh, go to your location. They have a good system of court reporters, again, nationwide. So whether you're in Illinois, New York, California, Washington, D.C., or Miami, Florida, you can rely on Bridges Court Reporting for all of your court reporting and transcription needs. Please visit BridgesCourtReporting.com for more information and to schedule your next court reporter. Again, that website is BridgesCourtReporting.com. We also want to remind callers that they can call in to area code number 917-889-9732 if they have any questions for credit damage expert George Finder. Again, that telephone number is area code 917-889-9732. All you have to do is press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. So now back to credit damage expert George Finder, whose website, by the way, while we're uh, pausing here, is creditdamageexpert.com. So again, creditdamageexpert.com. George, if you could, uh, let us know now what the lawyer needs to do once they have identified their credit damage plaintiff, collected all the uh, information. What, how, is, how is it next that they work with you and or... Uh, you know, file things in court, you know, to the level that you can speak to that. Um, you know, what's next for them? He, it's uh, pretty interesting that he should ask that because um, they need to confer with me on a consulting basis, or I suggest that they don't need to, to coordinate the strategy uh, of how they're going to present this. I believe that one of the reasons that uh, the construction defect matter had the outcome that it did for my client is that the attorney was very careful to include to disclose my uh, existence uh, was uh, very careful to stress the experience in which I had been successful and I, I do provide a list of those uh, in, uh, matters a judicial notice list the standard in my retainer information package, and that's really the first step is uh, the, when the, having used the form, having uh, even a question. Uh, one of the uh, benefits uh, that I provide uh, to uh, attorneys who have not even retained me is I provide a um, success indicator uh, site, which is totally confidential. The attorney or the client can use it themselves by going to creditdamagescore.com. And the client and or attorney will very quickly be shown that they either need more information or that they do or don't have a case. Each, um, I think there are nine questions 
uh, multiple choice questions. Uh, at the end of answering those questions, which should not take more than a minute, maybe two minutes if you have to think about it a whole lot, is that a score will be assigned to the answers given. And if they answer all the questions, uh, that score will tell them what the probability is of their being able to recover any damages. We don't assign a value to the case at that point because we don't ask for dollar amount questions. We simply want to know certain events that may have happened. Uh, and if they happened, then it's a very strong case. If it didn't, they didn't happen, it's not a stronger case. And a, a simple example is how many accounts do you have late payments on? When we know that, we start to get a picture of what's happened. The, uh, and then I suggest simply that the, the lawyer contact us, uh, let us send the office a uh, retainer information package. It's eight pages of information, including an example of a credit damage analysis service, which is a preliminary service that we offer so that there doesn't have to be a major investment of time or money uh, to confirm that this is a practical matter to bring in a, an expert on. So that uh, when I am brought into a case, we have a high probability of settling it without going to court, or if we go to court, we're going to get more money typically. I have never had one, well, I, except the case that I was uh, telling you about earlier, but uh, that's because there were, I believe uh, there were so many plaintiffs that I was representing in, in, a, some, in, in the same suit. The, uh, typically, if, a, if it's a single plaintiff uh, matter where I am able to provide a single opinion on a single individual with a single a plaintiff and defendant situation, overwhelmingly, and I mean over 90%, uh, my valuations have been accepted either by the arbitrator or by the court uh, or by the jury uh, as a starting point, not as a ceiling. Um, I had a case uh, uh, several years ago where my uh, measurement of the damage was uh, under $300,000 and the jury, the bench ruling was uh, $930,000. Uh, so you can see that my, I try to be very conservative, uh, not greedy uh, in determining the appropriate compensation for the damage caused. Hmm. Um, okay. And I hope I answered Jim, but, but uh, other than consultations as necessary, uh, we're looking at additional time from the law office in, in terms of providing me the information that I need uh, at probably under two hours. So if the law firm or the lawyer can, or the paralegal uh, can uh, um, invest that time, and this, this by the way, is after the, the client has been qualified or disqualified as a credit damage uh, victim, uh, that's a, when we're talking about many thousands of dollars uh, in, in return for that, that to me seems like a very um, practical return on time invested. I think from a business standpoint, that is a very true statement. Um, yeah. 
Now, what what is there? So what? Okay. So after you've worked with the attorney, you've prepared for hearing. How often, um, in your experience, how often do you end up going to trial with a lot of these credit damage issues, or is that how is that is seem to be something that settles more often? Um, as far as you know, one one of the issues of many in, in trial. Well, the reality is that that the overwhelming uh, majority of cases where a complaint is filed settle out of court. Uh, I would say generally 90% of those settle out of court. Right. Uh, in my particular case, um, if the attorney has included a specific credit damage demand um, in the complaint, uh, there is a, an, uh, an incredibly high uh, I would call it the willingness, if not rush, to settle because the side that hires me is going to benefit from the um, that there are very few people who can rebut my testimony. An economist cannot do it. An accountant cannot do it. Um, so who's going to do it? And, <laughs> right. Okay, so if you bring the credit damage expert to the table, uh, there's the advantage of uh, the high probability that there will not be a rebuttal witness. In the, in the matter of the uh, construction defect, that was the case. The um, uh, opposing counsel, the defense counsel, tried to have me disqualified uh, because I, uh, they didn't like my credentials, but the arbitrator accepted them and they accepted my uh, testimony. And while it wasn't the world's highest ruling, the very fact that he could not refute the value of credit damage, he set the precedent that credit damage is now recognized in construction defect matters. And for someone who invests two or $3,000 and gets $25,000 back, as a business decision, I could do that all day. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, I, I wonder how many um, of these cases have gone up on appeal to where now there are published, um, you know, published cases out there. Um, do you know of any of the cases that you've worked on that have gone up on appeal? Uh, the one that I mentioned a few minutes ago where the, my damage finding was uh, uh, under 300000 The defense, of course, appealed it. The, the appeal was denied vigorously by the judicial um, factor, and uh, as a result of their behavior, the, the appellant's behavior, and time passage, the $930,000 ruling by the bench uh, had a value of $1,400,000. Wow. I'll tell you what, it's been, you know, George, since we first talked, since you and I first talked, uh, you know, several years ago, um, it's been fascinating to watch the growth of, of the credit damage work that you've done and to continue to hear about such, you know, such incredible uh, outcomes that people are having. Um, it's just, I remember back, um, you know, years ago when I was fresh out of law school, working in family law here in the Chicago suburbs and listening to people talk about damage to credit and saying there's no way to qualify, you can't put the dollar amount on that, you know. So um, I'm glad and I hope that people reach out and find you. Um, it's, it's just phenomenal information. I look forward to 
our next show, um, and that's something that – do you have an idea right now what you want to talk about next, or we can determine that later? Let's determine that later, but I'm sure that one of the points I will make is if you don't ask for credit damage, if you don't check into it, if you don't address the issue, you will not get it. Sounds good. Again, title to our show today, If You Don't Ask for Credit Damage Recovery, You Won't Get Any. Thank you again to George Finder, credit damage expert. You can find his uh, website again at creditdamageexpert.com. I'd also like to thank our uh, listeners for tuning in to ALRPRA Law Talk Radio, and I'd also like to thank today's sponsors. We had Law Info, lawinfo.com, and we also have Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group, and finally Debbie Bridges of Bridges Court Reporting. ALRPRA Incorporated's mission is to educate the legal community on relevant law practice management issues and to help our law firms spend more time serving their clients by professionally managing their production and promotion activities. Again, our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We're a full-service law practice management agency nationwide when professional quality matters to your firm. We appreciate the opportunity to bring you this show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where, again, Tuesday will, Tuesday's shows will be addressing topics of general interest to the general public, and Thursday's shows will concentrate more on practice management tips and issue spotting for our attorneys out there um, and also to encourage referral business. Please tune in, uh, tune in again. Our next show, actually, we don't have one set yet for next Tuesday. Uh, we may plop one in there, but um, next Thursday we're going to have Sarah Elizabeth Dill uh, come back and talk to us a bit about uh, the Miranda rights and the changes that are, are happening uh, regarding the Burgess versus Tompkins. I'm probably not saying that right, but Burgess versus Tompkins. Uh, the title of that show is Speak Loudly and Clearly if you want to invoke your constitutional right to remain silent. Again, speak loudly and clearly if you want to invoke your constitutional right to remain silent. It will be presented by nationally recognized criminal defense attorney Sarah Elizabeth Dill of Perry, Krumziak, and Jack. Sarah's practice focuses on immigration, criminal defense, international law, and sports law in Chicago, Miami, and Milwaukee. The topics that Sarah is going to be covering are the history of the Miranda rights, the evolution of Miranda rights, the Supreme Court decision in Burgess v. Thompson and its impact on Miranda rights, uh, fourthly, what constitutes coercion and how individuals must respond if they are subject to police interrogation. So, again, thank you to credit damage expert George Finder. George, thanks for being on the show today. Enjoyed it. I hope your listeners did. Um, get more money from your cases or pay less money if you happen to be on defense because I cover both sides of the table. Um, get the information you need to get the best value for your case. All right. Thank you again, George. And, uh, again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated Law Talk Radio. We thank you for your time and look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you.